everyone, and welcome to the Fantasy and Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Chapin. The fantasy playoffs have arrived, so let's get right into the action for a full slate of Week 15 games, starting with the Chiefs at Chargers on Thursday night. Many are saying that Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense is back with 40-plus points in two of the past four games, but both came against the Raiders. And if you put those aside, Mahomes has thrown zero or one touchdown in every game since Week 7, and the Chiefs have scored 22 or fewer points and all but those two Las Vegas games over that span. I'm sure Brandon Staley and the Chargers won't allow Mahomes to get going against single safety looks. So while he's an obvious QB1, I think it'd be a mistake to rank Mahomes as a high-end option for Week 15. In the first meeting this season, Mahomes had 260 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. And in general, the Chargers haven't really allowed him to have a monster game since his first start in 2018 when he had four touchdowns. I believe Mahomes is a QB7 or QB8 in our weekly rankings. And I think Herbert is a better play as the top three option in this matchup. For the LA pass catchers, Mike Williams is a wide receiver one play. He caught seven passes for 122 yards and two scores in the first matchup versus Kansas City. And while he only has one touchdown since week five, I would think Williams will be featured considering his dominance in the first meeting. Also, it's encouraging that over the past two games, he's caught 11 of 13 targets for 171 yards. I know many are disappointed with the drop in production since the hot start but I'm still optimistic about Williams as a top 10 play. Also, Keenan Allen, if he's back, will be a top 15 option. And Austin Eckler should be a high-end RB1. He got six of six targets for 52 yards and a score in the first matchup against Kansas City. And he's had a few big games against him in the past. Let's keep it moving with the Saturday doubleheader, starting with Raiders at Browns. It's tough to feel confident about Las Vegas. Brian Edwards is almost a non-factor in the offense. Josh Jacobs had a costly fumble to open last week. Foster Moreau has disappointed in back-to-back games without Darren Waller in the lineup. And I'm worried about Derek Carr against the Cleveland pass rush this week. So hopefully Waller returns to be high-end, tight-end one, and boost the entire offense. But if not, Hunter Renfro as a great wide receiver too. And Jacobs as an RB2 are probably your only options to start. For the Browns, this feels like a spot where Nick Chubb can go off. He's had back-to-back wide outings, both against Baltimore. But before that, Chubb had rushed for 100 yards in four of the previous five matchups. And no Kareem Hunt should give Chubb the goal line work this week. On Saturday night, Patriots at Colts should be a great matchup with both teams coming off the bye. New England has clearly established themselves as one of the top defenses in the league, so I'd downgrade Michael Pittman Jr. to the wide receiver three ranks. And Jonathan Taylor, as the overall RB1, is the only must-start. Patriots should be viewed similarly. Damian Harris, if he plays, will be a low-end RB2 with Ramondre Stevenson as a low-end RB2 flex. But if Harris, who went down with a hamstring injury last Monday night, is unable to go. Stevenson would be an obvious RB1 option, and it would be interesting to see how much each side tries to limit the opposing running game. Now for the Sunday slate, Cowboys at Giants. Dak Prescott in the Dallas offense is one of a few high-powered attacks around the league. It's hit a bit of a cold stretch, but I'd still start everyone. They have too much talent to not get it figured out. CeeDee Lamb is a top-10 play. Mari Cooper is a borderline top-15 option, and I still have Michael Gallup in the wide receiver two ranks, based on his big play and touchdown upside. But Ezekiel Elliott has probably settled into being an every week RB2 rather than an RB1. He's clearly not himself dealing with a knee injury. He'll probably need Zeke to get hot scoring touchdowns for him to return RB1 value. On the New York offense, it was encouraging that Saquon Barkley was able to get a touchdown on a double move when lined up outside the numbers. Hopefully they find creative ways to get him the ball for the final four games of the season. Dallas limited Antonio Gibson last week, but no matter who is at quarterback, the Giants should play through Barkley to try to pull off some upsets down the stretch. Outside of Barkley, I wouldn't trust anyone on the New York offense right now. 
and if Daniel Jones is unable to return at any point, I'd like to see Jake Fromm get a shot to close out the season. Next up, Houston at Jacksonville. I won't get into the Urban Meyer stuff, but the offense has absolutely no direction. James Robinson, because of his talent and hopeful volume, if they can play from ahead against the Texans, puts him on the RB2 map. But it's impossible to feel good about it, and we'll need to wait for 2022 to hopefully see Trevor Lawrence have his potential unlocked at quarterback. On Houston's offense, I mentioned Brevin Jordan a few weeks ago as a dynasty target. He's turned into a factor quicker than anticipated with a touchdown in three of the past six games. So anyone that bought low should be feeling pretty good about it right now. Outside of Brandon Cooks, though, as stated almost every week, this is probably an offense to avoid. And it's difficult to get a feel for this game, whether it might be a high-scoring affair or a slugfest. Moving on, Titans at Steelers. Deontay Foreman is a top 25 option at running back against the Pittsburgh defense that has been awful against the run, especially in recent weeks. They've just allowed 200 yards to Dalvin Cook. For the passing attack, I'd probably rather avoid Ryan Tannehill for one more week, but hopefully Julio Jones stays healthy and the team can get A.J. Brown back next week so he can be an early ad for those dreaming a quarterback looking ahead to Week 16. On the Pittsburgh offense, I'm concerned about Chase Claypool potentially being benched. The talent is definitely there for him in terms of size and athleticism, but he's made too many boneheaded mistakes. And James Washington again showed he can make plays, so don't be surprised to see Washington be the number two wide out this week, with Claypool either being benched to start the game or having a decreased role. And then for anyone that needs help at quarterback, you can do worse than Ben Roethlisberger. He has multiple touchdowns in four of the past five games, and I expect the Steelers to continue throwing on Sunday. Another team that will have to throw this weekend... The Dolphins, with the Jets coming to town, it'd be unfortunate for Miles Gaskin to miss a game for a great matchup. So if Duke Johnson draws a start as the last man standing, he'd be on the flex radar. But overall, we could see more passing for Miami, which makes Tua Tagovailoa a high-end QB2. And the offense is in good shape in terms of perimeter playmakers with Devontae Parker healthy and Jalen Waddle having the body heal up, along with Mike Kosicki at tight end, who I still have as a solid tight end one, despite quiet games recently. For the Jets... Michael Carter is eligible to return from injured reserve, so we'll see if he's back. But the offense in general takes a huge hit with Elijah Moore out. And Denzel Mims only had one target last week on 22 snaps, so I don't feel good about anyone on the offense for Week 15. And this remains a group to maybe stash in Dynasty Leagues more than anything else. Next game, Washington at Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts should be fully healthy coming off the bye. I have him as a top five play. And being at home helps despite strong defense from Washington in recent games. For the Eagles' backfield, Miles Sanders should be the lead guy. But with Jordan Howard also hopefully returning, I wouldn't sleep on him as a flex option. In only four appearances this season, Howard has rushed 51 times for 274 yards and three scores. So I'd be surprised if Philadelphia doesn't give him a sizable role behind Sanders. For Washington, Terry McLaurin is in the concussion protocol. I'd anticipate him getting cleared with a week to do so. But Darius Slay could be a tough matchup, and the offensive struggles should make him more of a low-end wide receiver too than a high-end wide receiver, too, to start in the fantasy playoffs. And a tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones, essentially split time with rookie John Bates last week, but the Eagles are very susceptible to opposing tight ends. So I'd say Seals-Jones is worth streaming consideration, and I would think Curtis Samuel might get more involved to hopefully give Washington's offense a spark. For the backfield, stick with Antonio Gibson. I agree with Greg Olson from last week's broadcast that they should have went right back to him in a close game after a lost fumble. So we'll see if Washington's offense gets back to featuring Gibson in another divisional bout. Staying in the NFC, Cardinals at Lions. Arizona has dropped to the number three seed in the conference, but they're still one of the top teams in the league, and this feels like a spot where they could totally explode against Detroit. 
Really, the only concern I have would be a blowout leading to decreased work for James Conner, who's a top 10 option at running back, and maybe the passing attack as a whole. But Conner's a must-start for the fantasy playoffs, even with Chase Edmonds back. And I have Murray, who feels like he could do damage as a runner against the Lions as the overall QB1. Also, you can play A.J. Green coming off a 100-yard game and Christian Kirk as flex options against a newer match defense. For the Detroit offense, Jamal Williams will be a top 30 play if he's back from the COVID-19 list. But if not, Craig Reynolds looks like the guy, and he'd probably take the spot in the rankings where Williams is if Williams is unable to get cleared. And for the passing game, Mon Ross St. Brown has caught fire here in back-to-back games, so you can roll with him as a flex option with Detroit needing to put up points this week. St. Brown will get a couple of good matchups after that in Atlanta and in Seattle. For TJ Hawkinson, he's more of a low-end tight end one if he returns, as Arizona allows the second-fewest fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends, and the usage of Hawkinson has definitely been inconsistent this season. To finish off the 1 p.m. games, Panthers at Bills, I would expect Josh Allen will be good to go with his foot sprain. He clearly has a ton of heart and doesn't want to miss games, but the concern here for him being a high-end QB1 would be a limited amount of rushing attempts still there's no way you'd consider benching allen and the superstar quarterback has shown he can beat opponents with his arm he will be without emmanuel sanders though so gabriel davis is firmly on the flex radar and i'd like to see buffalo commit more to the running game especially with devin singletary i guess allen's injury could end up being a good thing if it leads to more offensive balance because it's asking a lot of allen to go out every week and basically be the entire offense but the panthers will see if they can replicate the success teams have had running the ball on the Bills, but I have my doubts. So Chuba Hubbard is a low-end RB2 rather than getting boosted too much into the high-end RB2 range. And Cam Newton I would avoid based on the team splitting work with him and P.J. Walker. The upside is high, but not someone you really want to trust splitting time with fantasy playoffs on the line. So you're probably down to Hubbard and D.J. Moore. Robbie Anderson had a good game last week, but Buffalo limits the deep ball and I'd rather take a shot on someone else as an upside flex. Now for the late games, Cincinnati at Denver. The lack of receiving usage for Joe Mixon has been frustrating to watch. So after failing to hit high-end RB1 expectations for the past two weeks, he should be downgraded some to it being a mid-range RB1. Still, I'd anticipate a 20-point game soon, and Mixon could really do damage against Denver if he gets to the second level. In a big game for both sides, Cincinnati would be wise to feed Mixon with at least 20 to 25 touches. For Denver's backfield, both Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams are RB2 options. The team wisely wants to run the ball, and if they don't fall behind, which hopefully they won't at home, there's no reason both Gordon and Williams can't be strong starts. For the wideouts, as stated previously, you probably need to wait until next season where Denver will hopefully get a quarterback upgrade as they have a lot of money invested in the position, but there's simply not enough volume for Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton, and Tim Patrick to be reliable starters right now. And that low volume also impacts Noah Fant, who was on the tight end one, tight end two borderline. Now from an AFC matchup with wildcard implications to an NFC matchup with wildcard implications, Falcons at 49ers. Matt Ryan has played great considering the supporting cast in 2021. And I think he should have another solid game this week, but the lack of firepower makes him a better real life quarterback than fantasy option. And San Francisco might not be a good matchup in terms of what Atlanta has on offense with Kyle Pitts and Cordell Patterson as their main targets. We'll see if Russell Gage and Mike Davis can keep it going as a complimentary options, but on the road it feels like this is a spot where San Francisco's defensive line might be able to get to Matty Ice. 
So view him as a mid to low QB2. And again, I don't like the matchup for Kyle Pitts, who tumbles down the tight end one rank some to the low end range. So I'd only feel confident in starting Patterson for the Falcons offense. For the San Francisco offense, Elijah Mitchell will ideally return, but Atlanta is fairly stout against the run. And I think Deion Jones will be one to match Mitchell on those outside runs. So at potentially less than 100%, Mitchell would be an RB2 rather than an RB1. And especially since San Francisco has Debo Samuel taking touches in the backfield, it somewhat limits the upside of Mitchell. And then if Mitchell is out again, Jeff Wilson would have a ceiling capped on a spread the wealth offense that really plays through Debo and George Kittle. Because of how effective the weapons are for San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo is a solid QB2, especially for good matchups like the one I'll have this weekend. Next up, Seahawks at Rams. For as good as Russell Wilson has been against the division rival Niners throughout his career, he struggled as much against the Rams. Earlier this season, when he had the finger injury, he was limited to 152 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. And Los Angeles, without Jalen Ramsey on Monday night, showed they're starting to come together on defense. I have Wilson as a low-end QB1, and hopefully we'll see Seattle pull out some quarterback runs in a huge game for them and their hopeful playoff chances. In the backfield, Rashad Penny had a huge game last week. We had him ranked as the RB22, so hopefully in a week where people were going crazy with who to start as a plug-and-play option at running back, you used our rankings and were able to pick up and start Penny. The former first-round pick obviously hasn't lived up to the billing, but it's worth noting that in games with more than 10 carries, he's done very well. As a rookie, he had 108 yards on a touchdown in his only opportunity with more than 10 carries. Then in year two, he had 14 carries, 129 yards and a touchdown, and 15 carries, 74 yards and a touchdown in back-to-back games. And then last week was only his fourth opportunity with more than 10 carries, and he had the 137 yards and two touchdowns boosted by a couple long scores. The Rams will be a more difficult matchup than Houston was, but Penny has established himself as the lead back, and you'd think Seattle would want to keep feeding him to create the much-needed balance, taking the pressure off the passing attack. For the Rams, they struggled to put away Seattle without Wilson in the first matchup. Now they'll get them at home, but the Seahawks have been better defensively despite allowing a nice game to Davis Mills last week. So we'll see if Los Angeles has a bit of a letdown following their win over the Cardinals. To avoid that, they should continue feeding Sony Michelle even if Daryl Henderson is back. And I'd be shocked if Sean McVay suddenly went away from Michelle as a lead guy based on the tone he set as a starter for each of the past two games. Also, McVay has done a great job getting Odell Beckham Jr. involved without having it negatively impact the offense. So OBJ is tracking towards wide receiver two status, but don't forget about Van Jefferson as a solid flex option, and the trio gives Stafford a higher floor as a QB1. For the final late afternoon game, Packers at Ravens. The concern here would be Baltimore's pass rush being able to get to a hobbled Aaron Rodgers, but he showed no signs of the toe injury impacting him last week, and I think will be treated to another high-powered passing attack with Baltimore not having Marlon Humphrey in the secondary. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was quiet on Sunday night, but something about this matchup has me thinking he can get loose for a long touchdown, with the Ravens being preoccupied by Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and obviously Devontae Adams. For Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, I would assume, is going to play. It was shocking that he's only dealing with a low ankle sprain despite being carted off last week. That's something he should be able to play through, though it'll be interesting to see how much it limits his mobility, if at all. The Packers have been more forgiving on defense recently, but the shell coverage they play should limit Marquise Brown, and I assume they'll do their best to eliminate Brown and Mark Andrews the best they can. So Jackson, who I ranked as more of a mid-range QB1 last week, will again be a mid-to-low QB1 at potentially less than 100%, and for what is expected to be a difficult matchup. On Sunday Night Football, Saints at Buccaneers, 
Taysom Hill saved fantasy owners with a couple of touchdowns in the final six minutes last week, including one where he could have went down to seal the game, but he didn't. So I'm sure fantasy owners are grateful for that. Unless you have another good QB1 option, you can definitely start Hill again. And Tampa Bay, usually being preoccupied with stopping Alvin Kamara, which they've had success doing, could result in Hill being a big factor as a runner. Even against one of the league's top run defenses for the Bucks, I'd downgrade Mike Evans to low-end wide receiver two status against rival Marshall Lattimore. There is slight concern that no Antonio Brown will lead to New Orleans being able to stop Evans and Chris Godwin, but not enough that I'd downgrade Brady from the high-end QB1 ranks, and at least having Rob Gronkowski will make opponents pay for doubling both Evans and Godwin. So no real change here for the Bucks. You play all the studs. It might not be a bad idea to stack Ronald Jones in the case of a Fortnite injury. Jones hasn't really gotten a shot with Fortnite emerging, but the talent's still there, and I'd be fine holding a roster spot for a guy that's one play away from being the lead back in Tom Brady's offense. To finish off Week 15, Vikings at Bears on Monday night. K.J. Osborne only caught three passes last Thursday, but one of them was a 62-yard touchdown, and he saw a very healthy nine targets without Adam Thielen in the lineup. Thielen dealing with a high ankle sprain would seem to leave him out at least one more game. So Osborne is a top 30 option at wide receiver. Justin Jefferson should occupy Jalen Johnson at cornerback. So Osborne should see very favorable coverage, especially with the Bears wanting to stop Dalvin Cook in the running game. Also, Tyler Conklin should bounce back. It wasn't really a factor last week against Pittsburgh, but targets remain up for grabs without Thielen. So Conklin remains a high-end tight end too. For Chicago, Justin Fields has 18-plus fantasy points in each of his past three games, excluding the Baltimore game when he was injured. The increased usage as a runner has lifted his floor and ceiling, but I'm sure Mike Zimmer will have some things in store for the rookie, and I'd keep him as more of a mid-range QB too. For the wideouts, I don't know who will draw the coverage of Patrick Peterson out of Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson, but hopefully Robinson, who hasn't done much anyway, will take that coverage away and allow Mooney to reemerge with a big game. But David Montgomery is probably the only clear starter for Chicago, and for dynasty leagues that still allow trades, I'd be targeting Allen Robinson with the hopes that a new landing spot in 2022 will give him a shot to at least get back into the wide receiver two ranks. And that will conclude this episode. Hopefully, Wolf Sports can be a wartime consigliere for your fantasy playoff matchups. And as always, you can find our full rankings at wolfsports.com. Until next time, I'm Dylan Chapin, and this was a Fantasy Consigliere Podcast.